0: Good day to you and welcome to the NPFCC Messages podcast. We're glad to have you back. Or if you're listening for the first time, thank you for checking us out. This week's podcast is a message from our series through the book of First Timothy. Throughout the series, we're going to examine just how critical the message of the gospel is for the church. And while this may seem obvious to some, the truth is it's easy to get distracted by the noise and the trends of this world and forget what's most important. So these messages aim to draw us towards keeping the gospel first in our lives and in the church. So be blessed as you listen to this word.
1: So this morning, we're in week five of our uh, teaching series. We've been going through the New Testament book of First Timothy. If you have a Bible, I hope you do, then turn to First Timothy. Uh, We'll be in chapter five today. There's always Bibles around the room if you need one of those. You know, I was sharing with our church staff uh, this week. I was like, you know... First Timothy is really kicking my butt. Uh, can I say that in church? Is that okay? My mom's not here, but yeah, it's re- it, man. I got more books and stuff scattered all over my office. Than I have a long time, and it's good. It's it's good um, because because the desire is that we continue we continue to work out our faith in fear. And with trembling. And there's a lot going on in First Timothy. Uh, for those of you who are maybe joining us um, for the first time or haven't been here the last couple of weeks, First Timothy is a pastor's manual written by the Apostle Paul to his protege, a young man named Timothy, hence the name of the book, and who was sent to pastor the church in Ephesus. Very large, um, very uh, important, very prominent, and very pagan city a church that needed lots of guidance where there was lots of false teaching, lots of things happening. And uh, Paul sent Timothy there to guide the church, to lead the church forward. You know, one interesting fact uh, about the church at Ephesus that is kind of a special interest for today's message is um, it's about one of the most famous citizens of the city of Ephesus at this time. Um, one of the most famous citizens, um, and when I tell you who it is, you'll know exactly um, who I'm talking about, but um, um, it, it was a, a famous widow, and here is a picture of her house. Um, we got to go to this place um, back in 2019, and up on the hill, up away from the city, is this house, um, and it is um, the home to, like I said, uh, probably one of Ephesus' most famous citizens and um, somebody that you know well. It was Mary, the mother of Jesus. And this is the place where she lived out the, um, the the latter part of her life. And you might ask, well, how, how did she get there, right? How did she get from Jerusalem to there? Well, you might remember that in John chapter 19, uh, the scene is at the cross where Jesus was being crucified. And all of the other disciples had scattered. But John, uh, Jesus' beloved disciple John, was at the foot of the cross, the only apostle that we know that was there. And he's there with Mary, the mother of Jesus. And you can only imagine that scene as she is witnessing her son, who she was told would be the Messiah, would be the Savior of the world. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, she's watching his crucifixion. And in the midst of all of that agony and all of that pain, in the middle of all of that suffering, Jesus has the wherewithal, Jesus has the heart and compassion that he looks down at his mother and he says, mother, behold your son. And then he looks to John and he says to John, he says, John, behold your mother. And it tells us that from that time on, John cared for uh, Mary. And and so what we know is a few years later, as persecution arose in the early church, that the apostles all scattered uh, throughout the known world at the time, and John John headed to Ephesus. So who was he caring for? Mary. And so Mary went with him. And so Mary ended up in Ephesus. And so that she wouldn't get disturbed by everybody wanting to know all the stories, um, the, the so church tradition and, and stuff have it, is that the, she had this house that was up on top of the hill and uh, overlooking the city there in Ephesus. And so she was one of the most popular people, obviously, in the city um, at that time, but that probably predated... Um, that definitely predated Timothy. Um, we know that Paul visited there earlier, but John was the one who started the church there, then Paul came in, and later on, Timothy. So today, we're gonna, we're gonna look at chapter five, where Paul pivots from teaching Timothy how he should hold on to sound doctrine. That's kind of been the theme all along, like be careful of your teaching, hold to sound doctrine, all that. And he's moving from sound doctrine and holding on to that to how you should work with, how you should lead the people in the church. And that is always a challenge for, for a lot of pastors is they, you know, have, have flocks of people in, in their congregations and everybody is different and trying to figure out how to work with everybody. In fact, you know, um, the, the, you know, a lot of pastors, you know, you go to training, you go to seminary, you got all those things. And it's not the book smarts that'll get you. It's the people smarts, right? That you really need to navigate what it really means to be a pastor. And so Paul is telling Timothy, hey, okay, hold the sound doctrine, but here is how you work with, respond with, here's how we act with people in the household of God. And so let's let's go ahead and read. We're going to read the whole chapter. That's what we've been doing. By the time we're done, we'll have read through um, the whole book of Timothy together. And it's a little bit longer today, but I'm going to ask you guys to, like we've been doing, just stand just to honor God's word and I'll read it for us. It'll be up on the screen. You can follow along. Um, and we 're going to dive in there 's a lot of stuff in here, um, but let 's uh, we 'll get going so starting in verse one, first Timothy chapter five, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers and older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should first learn to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family, and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow, who is really in need and is left all alone, puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is 60 or over and has been faithful to her husband and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, and helping those in trouble and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds as for younger widows. I did not put them on such a list for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ They may want to marry thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge Besides they get into the habit of, of becoming excuse me uh, Not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense saying things that they ought not to So counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. And if any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. The elders who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning are to be reproved before everyone so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and in Jesus Christ. That the, and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water. Use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them, and the sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. lot to think about. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thanks again for your word. Father, help us to be able to understand um, what you have for us. Father, help us to not just know something today, but to find ways that we can live out your word so that we can please you. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So go ahead and have a seat. Man, yeah, a lot in that passage, and you're, some of you are going like, oh, man, I picked a crazy day again to come to church, right? Yeah, and I, you're just like, some of you are like, no, Ken just picked a crazy book of the Bible to go through this time of year. So um, you know what? Um, I, I know some people, Some we were having this discussion in even with our staff uh, this week. You know, some people reading through 1 Timothy, they're like, man, this Paul guy, this Paul guy, man, he is harsh. He can kind of be a jerk at times. I mean, I know that there's people out there who who think, man, he is just not nice to women. And I I think as we take a deeper look, I think we're going to see that that's not the case. And, I mean, but listen to—I think this is for those of you who struggle. As we kind of go through First um, Timothy, listen to what um, Peter, the Apostle Peter, says about Paul um, in 2 Timothy three sixteen. Speaking about Paul, this is what Peter says. He says he writes in the same way in all of his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, and all God's people say that, amen, right? And then he says, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do with other scriptures to their own destruction. I-, I love the fact that these two huge pillars of the church don't always see eye to eye. Sometimes they even butt heads together. Um, but it's never, it's never about the gospel. It's never about who Jesus is. It's never about the mission of the church. Oftentimes, it's just about how things get worked out. And, and I love the fact that they are just wrestling together, that, that sparks fly sometimes when these two get together, but it's because of their incredible passion that they are absolutely sold out to Jesus Christ and the mission of the church. And so the question today is, are we sold out? to Jesus and the mission of his church. Amen? Amen. So let's dive in. First, it starts with respect in the family. In 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, it says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. The word there for older man is presbyteros. It's the same word for elder that we came uh, across in chapter 3. In this context, though, um, because of the words used around it, it is translated an older man. So, um, so it kind of applies to all older men. And it says, and the word here for rebuke, it actually means like to lash out. So it's like, that's where we get the the harshly in the text. It's like, don't rebuke, don't lash out at another man. He says, but we're supposed to exhort, which really means encourage. And we're supposed to treat them like fathers. Now I have a question for some of you this morning, is if you were to treat others like you treat your father, is that a good thing? It should be, right? Yeah, it should be. But that's always a question that we need to keep in check. Now, I, some of you, I know, you're like, oh, man, I don't know, you know, you don't know my father, all these other things. The Bible's pretty clear that we are supposed to honor parents. It doesn't mean we have to approve of things that they do, but we they deserve a certain amount of honor. Uh, Leviticus 19.32, I thought this was, a, it's an interesting passage, but this is just, this has been in Scripture for a long time. It says, stand up in the presence of the aged. Show respect to the elderly and revere your God. I am the Lord. When something ends with, I am the Lord, you ought to take, stand up and notice, right? Now folks, some of you might call this old school, right? You're like, oh, that, you know, this is old, this is old stuff. But where I come from, it was called manners and, and I believe they still matter. I think it's important. In fact, I I think we should still make sure to train our children how to have respect for others. It bothers me that today so many people um, have no respect for their fellow person and for authority, right, that that we almost assume the opposite way too many times. People, this is what I, I, I've just noticed, this has kind of been a trend in our society that really bothers me. People are so quick to demand respect from others, but are so slow to give it. My observation has been this, that most of the time, not always, but most of the time, people who demand respect rarely deserve it, and the people who really deserve it will never demand it of anybody. Well, people who abuse their authority certainly do not deserve respect. I believe that until someone does something to break that respect or break our trust, should be given a measure of respect because all of us are people created in the image of God. And until you know something about them, you should honor that piece of their life and we should show respect whenever possible, especially to people who are older than us. There are people in this room who I still can't call by their first name. Okay. I mean, there's people in this room that I didn't call by their first name until I got over 50, right? Because I just like, I was just told that is just not, that is just not appropriate. And I know, yeah, maybe it's also, but you, it'll never hurt to show respect. And I think it's so vital that, that we do that. And, and so I, I just want to encourage you, show respect. Uh, then it tells us treat Younger men as brothers. I was thinking about this and I was thinking like, how do I treat, man, I, sometimes I, I wrestle it out with my brothers, man. We go at it every once in a while. But I'll tell you what, push, come to shove, we've got each other's back. And I think that's the important part about being, you know, treating someone like a brother. Like, you, you may, you may get into a squabble here or there, but you know what? We always have one another's back. And we always want to hold, uh, be on each other's side. Then it goes on, it says in verse uh, two, um, treat older women as mothers. And boy, i got to tell you something. This was the number one rule in our house. Okay, The number one command in the Lamont household was, thou shalt respect your mama. Right? My dad was a pretty level-headed guy until we disrespected my mom. And then all bets were off. Right? Um, but I still think, and in the church, I just think, you know what? Um, older women deserve respect. And I think we need to honor one another in this way. You know, I I remember, I remember one time when I was a kid and I had pulled in after baseball practice and I'm carrying my baseball stuff into the house and Mrs. Barkin, the lady that lived across the street, elderly lady, she pulls in and her trunk comes up and she comes over and it's, she's got a trunk full of groceries. And I turned around and looked and my dad, he just looked down at me and he gave me that little tap on the back that says, what are you doing just standing there? Get over there, right? Like, get over there and help, you know? And and I think, I, I, you know, it just, it worries me about our culture that we've lost that sensitivity towards just loving and respecting one another, just looking for the people around us and saying, how can I help? How can I show respect to people? How can I honor people? Because folks, the thing that we've forgotten so much is that people are the image bearers of God, we are all created in his image. Now, we have, we have his spirit inside us if we believe. But everyone was created in his image. And they deserve a certain amount of respect. And folks, we ought to stand out as difference because of the way that we love and respect other people. In these short verses... Um, I think it's uh, important. Oh, sorry. It goes on and talks about the younger women. It says, treat younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Now, folks, and especially to the men in the room, our, our world has not been a safe place for many women. They have been objectified and devalued. They've been abused. But that has absolutely no place in the household of God. Every woman regardless of age or anything else should feel honored and valued, should feel protected in the house of God. MPFCC should be a place where they feel safe, feel loved, feel respected. And as a pastor, I I would demand that from all of us. In these short verses, I think Paul demonstrates something that we here at MPFCC hold as a core value and that is this, church is family. Family church's family, a family where we love and we respect one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, a place where you belong, a place where you should be safe, a place where you should be cared for, a place that, yeah, we can can squabble it out and we can disagree on some things, but we still have each other's backs and we still love one another because we're part of the household with God. We're bought by the same blood of Jesus Christ and we're here for each other. Amen? And if you're looking for a church like that, welcome home. So this next part he goes into, and this is the longer section in this passage, um, which is, it talks about respect for widows. And I know some of you are like, oh, I know what's coming, I'm not sure if it's respect. I, I really do believe it is. It says this, it says, you know, we come to these 13 verses on how we should treat widows. And you might ask, why, why in the grand scheme of things, Why? why so many verses about widows? And the answer, I think, is this. God's heart has always been for the brokenhearted and the most vulnerable among us. You know, over 80 times throughout Scripture, God talks to us about the plight of the widow and his care for them. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 19, it says, Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Psalm 68, 5, and I love this verse. It says, A father to the fatherless and a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. James one twenty-seven, 27, one we talk about uh, here a lot, is religion that our fa- God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I could fill pages full of these verses in the Bible about how God wants us to care for, that his heart goes out for the widow. And so here he's just doing that. And it's, it's in a culture where there's a lot of people, a lot of these ladies who are becoming widows. If you think this applies only, though, to the church back in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, then think again. I was doing some research on this this week. As the boomer generation enters retirement, There has been an absolute boom in the number of widows in our country. I found one statistic that said that um, 2,900 women are widowed every day in America. And the number of widows is becoming, the number of widows becoming homeless is growing exponentially because of the cost of housing in our nation. And God's care for widows should translate into our care for the widows among us as well. But there's some interesting twists in terms of all of Paul's instructions about this. In verse 13, in the next 13 verses, we're going to see three different types of widows and how each of these different groups should be cared for. The first is this. He, he says in some of your translations it will say widows indeed or in, in the NIV it says widows who really in need. In, in verse 3 it says give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need the word proper recognition in um, some of your bibles might be translated honor and that's a really good translation for that because the actual word that's used there means to affix a price to or to place value on and it's where we get our word honorarium something that you pay to somebody right and, and so this was the idea that um these widows were taken care of financially by the church. that They received maybe a stipend or something from the church, the ones who were really in need. Now, you need to understand, too, that in this context, especially in Ephesus, I mean, this whole idea in the Roman world, this actually really elevated the status and value of women in the culture, okay? And especially in the church because the church was doing something that the rest of the world just was absolutely failing at. And the church was saying, hey, we're going to take care of these people, um, these were um, were women who were widows who were really in need. Paul will use this phrase three different times during the text, and, and it's of women who had no family to care for them, and that there was some stipulations, as we're going to see in a few minutes, um, and then they were financially cared for by the church. the The next group are, are widows with families, and in verse four it says this: "But if a widow has children or grandchildren." These should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family. And so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. I know that there's a lot of people in the room today who in one way or another are working through what it means to care for aging parents. And that is a huge task in in our day and age. That's something that we need to take seriously. And I think it's something that Paul would say, hey, this is something that is important for us because it's a way that we demonstrate our love for our families in ways that oftentimes the world doesn't. And that we ought to be take special care to take care of one another. You know, um, I uh, absolutely hate it that I keep getting um, mail um, from this guy, AARP. Um <laughs> But I get it all the time, and, and they, their most recent advertising thing was this. It was interesting. It says, roles change, and, you know, the picture of the family with a little girl, and now the younger gal is taking care of the family. And this, this so what, what I'm thinking from is, I'm lo- as I looked at this, and, of course, I've been studying this, I looked at this, and I was like, man, if AARP gets it, man, the church really ought to get it. And we ought to be the ones who are really taking up this cause, okay? How much more should we be caring for people in our midst. Verse three, it now bounces back to the widows um, without family. In verse five, it says, the widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. Then in verse six, it says, uh, we we get a small look at another type of widow. In verse six, it says, but the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. We'll get back to that in a minute. Most commentators, however, believe that that is a reference to women who have had to resort to prostitution, which was quite common in this time period. Um, it, it It was normal in that time and place because there was no government assistance, there was no welfare, no security, no life insurance. The church was the ones who reached out to help these people, okay? But they were on their own. And society was not friendly to them. So then Paul addresses the families, not just like here's about the way, like Paul says, hey, now address the families. He says in verse seven and eight, he says, give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. He says, anyone that does not provide for their relatives and especially their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I mean, that is a a pretty harsh statement. Like if you don't provide... For your family, if you don 't provide for people in your family that are in need, it says, man, you you are worse than a an unbeliever. and I thought, man, what could possibly be worse than than being an unbeliever right i mean he's now he 's like putting you at tax collector status or something right it's like man, you are you, you are the baddest of the bad if you 're not caring for people and as I was thinking about this, I, I, you know I started kind of putting some of this together, and I was realizing, man, because if they weren 't caring for their relative, especially these, these gals who had been widowed, that they were forcing them into a life oftentimes of either prostitution or begging or something. And, and so you're basically pushing them into a life that no one should experience. And if you could help and you're not, then it's your fault. And Paul, I mean, I think so. Uh, the, the Bible talks on and on about the, the, the importance of not causing someone else to stumble. And I think, man, if we can help, and if we're family, then we need to do so. Then Paul, he goes on, he shares the requirements for the rid- widows who are really in need. And, and, and so he goes in verse 9 and 10, he says this, No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is Over 60, has been faithful to her husband, is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. I mean, what was amazing to me is like, as you say this, like over 60, like I was like, wow, that's that's pretty interesting, especially in this day and age where the average life expectancy was like, man, if you were doing good if you lived, you know, to your mid-50s. So I'm like, man, who, who qualifies for this? Right? I'm like, you're like, Paul, this is like, this is pretty picky. Right? And, and again, I, I don't, I don't think if a gal who was like 55 or 59 and a half showed up at church and says, I need help, the church is going, well, you know, you're not 60. Right? I, I don't, I don't, obviously legalism has no, no place in the church. I think, I think that, that's important. It's interesting he uses this phrase, the very first um, thing that he requires of them, other other than the age requirement, is faithful to her husband. It, it's the same phrase when, when we saw back in verse 3, uh, the um, requirement of elders to be a one-woman man. This is a one-man woman, which I think is kind of interesting. And And the rest of the list is basically describing somebody who has demonstrated her faith in church and at home, somebody who is living out their faith in intangible ways. Now, it talks in here about this idea of a list of widows. And there's pretty good evidence for us that there was an early development of what later became known as the office of widow. Kind of sounds interesting, but there was the office of widow. If you go and read some of the early church fathers, Clement of Alexandria and Ignatius, some of these guys, they make mention of this office of widow. And, and what it was was women could take a vow right um i think this is where eventually the catholic church probably pushed this into what we have now as as nuns and things like that but um it is they could take a vow and they the, they would vow to serve in the church they were usually um, mostly in prayer and in helping of the poor and the sick right and they would make a vow that they would not pursue you know um marriage or anything like that and that they would just serve fully in the church and then the church would care for them and, and so, um, this list of widows, um, some people say it was kind of like a, a role of a deaconess of sorts, but it was an office that was early built into the church. And, and so, um, so then, uh, you have these ladies who are saying, yeah, I'm gonna pledge myself towards service. Uh, then in verse 11, it's an interesting one. It starts to talk, it talks about younger widows. And it says this, it says, as for younger widows, do not put them on such a list right? Well, he already said, like, you know, you got to be older. He says, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. They may want to marry. And th- thus, they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Now, some people get on Paul and they're saying, oh man, Paul, what are you, you, know, what are you talking about here? What are you doing? Why are you being mean to these younger widows? Well, basically, in context, what he's doing is he's saying, hey, d- don't put the younger widows on here because the pledge is really, really important. In fact, if you, if you roll back, you gotta remember who Paul is. Paul is a Old Testament Torah scholar, right? He, he has the, he has the Old Testament, like, he's got it all memorized. And, and so what he, he, he knows in Numbers chapter 20, verse 9, there's this verse that says this, it says, any vow or obligation taken by a widow or divorced woman will be binding on her. So he's got, you know, so he's got these verses mind. he knows what he, he's like, hey, and and what he's saying is like, hey, look, if, if someone's older and they want to do this, that's great. But somebody who's got a lot of life in front of them, like, don't put them on a list and don't have them take this kind of a vow because, hey, if they want to get married, then they have to renege on their vow. And if you go and read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is pretty, takes vows pretty serious. I wonder if we do. But he's saying, hey, if you, if you break this kind of vow, it's sinful. And so he's saying, so, hey, let's not cause them to sin by, you know, quickly throwing them on a list of sorts, right? Let's, let's just help them out. And I don't think he's saying like, hey, if they don't make the list, we don't help. I think he's saying, hey, in, in this whole idea of having this office, this place for ladies to serve, I said, I think he's, he's being careful and he's watching out for some of these younger widows. Right? He's not trying to put extra weight on them. He's just trying to help out. And so they would bring this judgment upon themselves, not because they want to get married. That's perfectly fine. In other places, he says, hey, yeah, you should get married. Right? But he's saying, hey, but, but if you take this pledge, this is like God holds this as serious. And we should take it serious when we make pledges to the Lord as well. He goes on in verse 13 to 15. He says, besides, and then he says, I mean, if they're supported by the church, right, if they're on this list, if they're doing this, he says, they they might get into the habit of being idle, right, because somebody else is taking care of everything for them, Um, going about from house to house, and not only do they become idlers, but also bitty bodies, people who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to, spending too much time on Facebook, that's not in Scripture, Sorry, slip up. So he says, So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. And then he says, Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. I, you know, it's funny how every once in a while just like a little verse will pop out at, at me while I'm reading scripture. And for some reason, that verse 15, it just says, Some have already, in fact, some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. And I, I, I don't know why, but at first reading, that just kind of jumped out at me. And I kept wondering, like, why, why was that verse kind of jumping out at me? And as I could, just kind of kept going over it and over it and over it and reading all the books on it and doing all this stuff and looking at it, because in context, it, it says basically what it says. Some have, in fact, already turned away to Paul of Satan. And I thought, man, I, I just had this feeling of, like, this is what happens when the church doesn't care for one another. Right, this, this, is, this is what, ha- I mean, when we don't take good care of one another, then people head off into places where they think they might be getting cared for. If people don't feel like they belong in the body, they will go find a place to belong. Don't you see this going on in the lives of our young people? Man, if they don't find a place where, man, they belong, they will search and search and search and search and search to find a place where they belong. The number one place that all of our young people, that everybody here, the number one place that anyone who has been widowed, the number one place for anyone should be the church. That we have a sense of belonging and connection here. And that is so vitally important and so I think it's it's vital that we that we make sure that people know that they belong here I know that some people they kind of get upset thinking that Paul you know has this certain view of women but but I think we need to understand you know because he says oh you should get married you know you should raise kids you should do this and and I think our our, you know, Western view, our, you know, year 2023 view kind of gets in the way a little bit. I mean, he's saying, hey, yes, this this is the, a great option. There were already women and other prominent women in the church there. I mean, but I was thinking, and just because you work doesn't mean you negate the important role you have at home either. So it's like, you know, th- this, this is not Paul taking a dig at anybody. He's just saying, hey, like, let's make sure that we're guiding people in the right directions as they go through really difficult things in life. And in, first, um, in, in verse 16, he says this, he says, if any woman who is a believer ha- um, has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. The, the, the first line of care should, should happen in our families, in our, in our regular families and if that's not there then you know i tell people in the church i say hey you know what we we have we have a family and we we know that we're supposed to care for one another love one another it should be a place of safety and belonging and all those things and then our our next the next kind of ripple out the next place out in our family is like is our church family but here at mpfcc i would say like for us it's like like a life group and i know you get tired of us saying this all the time but you need to be in one because it's a place of deep care. We tell our kids, like, if we go, if we're out of town or something, and something goes wrong, like, you know the people who show up at our house every week, right? Those are people that we do life with. Like, you know, talk, go to those people, right? We know, we know that those people, like, if 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 we're out of town, ta- if, if we can't get to you right away, we know those people Care for us in a way that, I mean, they would drop what they're doing. They're going to come help because it's like this extended part of family. And then I think it just ripples up from there. And then now it's, you know, our church family, right? And we want people to belong in a church family where they know that they're absolutely cared for. And I think that it is vital for us to know that. And so, you know, here's, here's the application, church, for, for this section on widows, because I know it's a, a lot of talk about widows and things like that, but here, here's the application, okay? Here's the application, church. Care for widows. It makes God happy, right? It's just, it's just that simple. It, it says it pleases the Lord. Don't you want to do what pleases the Lord? All right, then stop thinking about it and just do it, right? Right? We, we, we don't need some special movement of the Spirit. He's already moved when he wrote this. So we just need to do it. Now real quick, I'm going to wrap it up here with, with, with the rest of this uh, passage. Um, he, he moves from caring for widows to respect for elders. In uh, verse 17 and 18, he says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church are well, uh, well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading the grain and the worker deserves his wages. Um, You know, for people who, you know, think Paul's all this and that, I think, well, he just called all the preachers oxen. So I think it's kind of funny. But um, it says here they're worthy of double honor. Same idea as uh, honoring the widows before. He just said that idea, this is where honorarium comes from. Um, Paul uses a very similar phrase in 1 Corinthians 9, 9, talking about the fact that pastors who give their life full-time to ministry and to the serving in the church um, should be compensated for the effort. Some people don't think that that's true. Um, but, um, but Paul is saying, hey, yeah, this is why. And he says, he pulls out this Old Testament um, verse in Deuteronomy that says, hey, you know, when your oxen are out there and they're, you know, they're grinding the wheat when they're moving around, like, take the muzzle off of them so they can eat because it doesn't do anybody any good if they keep working and then they collapse, Right? And let, and let me just say this, um, and I'll, I'll just speak on behalf of our church staff. I know this last month we had, you know, pastor appreciation time, and I just, uh, you know, just verbally, on behalf of our entire staff, I just want to thank you for being a church who is great at showing your love and appreciation for myself and our staff. Um, we, we are incredibly blessed by you, and I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a church that demonstrates your love and your care for us in ways that um, are absolutely just, um, just, just really, you know, warm my heart. And, and I just want to thank you for that. Um, and we love you guys. So thank you so much for that. Um, thanks. Um, so... <laughs> um, He goes on and he says this, though. He says, Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. Uh, I think this is really important, um, especially in the day uh, where it's so quick you can just throw out stuff you don't like about people on Facebook or so other social media, right? Like, don't do not do that. This, this is, I mean, it's an overall thing in the church. Like, if you have a problem with somebody, you go to them and you talk to them and you don't put your first thoughts out there for everybody else to see, right? We're supposed to be a family that takes care of business at home, that we take care of business together but that sh- we should not hold back if somebody truly is sinning it says hey don't don't make an accusation unless it can be collaborated by uh, a few witnesses right and I I, I think um, if you have something against um, a leader then you should go to another leader and say hey um, this is what I this is this is what I'm concerned about and um, and then they should you know s- look into that and see if that can be um, corroborated by other witnesses if not then then you know okay but if it does it says hey leaders who are people who are out in front if they're out in front then then if they needed to be reprimanded that that should happen in public so that everybody would know i mean that's one of those difficult parts of taking the role of leadership and we're in that process right now where we're vetting um, people who who have been suggested for elder that we'll vote on in our church um meeting but we take this kind of thing seriously and um and I think it's important for us to make sure that we do these things appropriately. Timothy goes on uh, uh, the rest of this are, are charges to Timothy. And he says Timothy I charge he says I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and do nothing out of favoritism, it's huge. We have to be honorable in the way that we handle these things in the church. We don't favor- show favoritism, whether it's caring for other people or how we treat our elders or anything like that. Um, then he goes on. He says, "Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. And do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure." Um, the laying on of hands—it's kind of like setting people apart for office. Like I said, like maybe it's like similar to what we do with elders. And I can tell you, it is a pretty in-depth vetting process that we go through. We do not do it quickly, um, and and we take it very, very seriously. Um, We share that every year at our annual meeting, which will be on December 10th this year. But um, we take that very seriously, um, and and we don't, I mean, because it's like you don't just let anybody lead. We don't let just anybody preach, right? I mean, um, one guy asked, he says, hey, I'm a prophet. Can I preach at your church? And so I just told him, well, we're a nonprofit, Organization, so just totally kidding, totally kidding. I'm, yeah, I had to throw that one in there. Um, you know, but um, lastly, he, he says this. He says to Timothy, he says, "Stop drinking water and use a little wine because of your stomach or your frequent illness." Now, that should not become anybody's life burst. Okay, <laughs> I know somebody thinks like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to make out." No, that shouldn't be our life burst. Um, but obviously, um, there there were issues, always issues in different parts of the world with getting clean water and other foods and things. Timothy, and so even though he'd already said, hey, you know, leaders shouldn't be given to drunkenness, he's saying, hey, but you know what? A little one in the right place is not a bad thing, right? And so uh, again, with Paul, we, we have to be careful of the extremes, right? And we want to care for people. And he says, some sins of some people are obvious. We all know that, right? Some of our sins are pretty obvious. He says, but some, right? And he says, and those reach a place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In other words, there will be people who sin that you'll never see that. Then he goes on, he says, in the same way, good deeds are obvious. And we're like, yeah, that, yeah, I see when people do good things. He says, but even those that aren't obvious, people who do things behind the scenes, and we've got lots of those people who lovingly serve behind the scenes, and many of you will never see it. He says, but those won't remain hidden forever. So now, real quick, what do we do about all this? I I, I gotta wrap this up. Um, What do we do about all this? Here's here's what I truly believe. Okay, I'm gonna try to encapsulate all this kind of stuff in one little thing. The church is a place where we live and experience community. It's one of our, one of our, you know, strategies here is we want everyone to experience community. And not just a surfacey kind of like, hey, we're good acquaintances or whatever, but a deep community. The church is intended to be a deep community where we love, okay? Not just kind of like put up, but where we love one another, where we honor one another, where we respect one another, deeply, from the heart, right, the Bible says. Love one another deeply from the heart. It's a place where we experience true family as adopted sons and daughters of the king of kings. We treat one another, how we treat one another, and and do that in the way that God wants us to, sends a message to the rest of the world. I mean, we confess to one another. We encourage one another to grow. We have one another's back. See, we want to be a church where everyone is valued, where everyone is cared for, because the world will know us by the way we love one another. This is not just some nice idea. This is our witness to the world, that the world will know that we are his followers by the way we care for one another. And if you want to be part of a church like that, then welcome home. Because I love that verse in 1 Peter 4, 8, that says, Above all, above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Amen? And that was the kind of love that drove Jesus to the cross. The kind of love that covered all of our sins. And he cared for you and I so deeply. And you know, we're, we're just supposed to be people who emulate the life of Jesus. He cared for people so deeply. He cared for you so deeply that he went to the cross on your behalf and on the, my behalf. And he gave his life to show how deeply he cared for us. And so each week we remember that. This is really the most important thing we do all day is we come and we are reminded today that you are loved, you are cared for to the extent that Jesus went to a cross and died in your place. And so together, let's take this bread that represents Jesus' broken body. And the cup that represents Jesus' shed blood. Let's take that together as well. If you're here this morning and you wanna know more about what it means to be part of the family of God, if you have not made Jesus your Lord and Savior, I'll, I'll be right up here. We'd love to talk to you. Now, you can come up while we're singing and right after the service. Can ask some of our, our elders to just come up front and be here if you need prayer. We'd love to pray with you. But let's make sure that we care for one another. It makes Jesus happy. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you, Father, that you showed us what it means to care for one another, even to the extent of giving your life. Father, thank you for a church family that cares deeply. Father, help us to love and care for each other as you would. We love you and praise you in the powerful name of
0: Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the NPFCC Messages podcast. If you'd like to support the work of our church, head to npfcc.org give to make a one-time or reoccurring gift. For more information about us, you can always check out our website at npfcc.org. Again, that's npfcc.org.